It's a pleasure to have you listening to my show today. My sincerest desire is for you to get something out of it that will make your life richer, fuller, and safer. My name is Reverend Wynn Henderson. As an ordained Christian minister and a retired medical doctor, I have a dual perspective to bring you content to solve problems in your life. This is the longest-running, single-hosted, spiritually-based radio internet talk show in America. It has been on the air for over 24 years. I bring you information about the disease of addiction, about your purpose in life, and investigative reporting on truth just below the surface. We have a special guest uh, on the program today, and that would be Dr. Ralph LaGuardia. And uh, Dr. LaGuardia is a practicing physician in Connecticut, and uh, he has spent over three decades researching alternative ways of treating and preventing diseases of all types. Uh, And he's been in, in private practice for more than 30 years. During that time, he's learned what alternative and natural methods work and which ones are snake oil. He's read hundreds of books and research articles on alternative ways of treating different diseases and has a huge personal library of many of these out-of-print books. He is um, um, well-known in the medical underground, and we're going to talk about that particular term in a minute, of pioneering integrative medical practitioners. The integrative medicine is the highly effective combination of traditional and alternative medicine. Uh, Dr. LaGuardia has written the Doomsday Book of Medicine, considered by many to be the best book on medical prepping. He has also written the Bible of Alternative Medicine. He lives in an, on an organic farm in Connecticut with his lovely wife, Lynn, his feisty 91-year-old mother, Mary, and their three dogs and four horses. When not practicing medicine or writing, he spends most of his time in his orchards or his geodesic dome greenhouse, experimenting with growing and propagating edible fruits of all kinds. Uh, Dr. LaGuardia, it's nice to have you on the program today. Thank you for having me. I have to say at the start that your book, Infected, How to Prevent and Treat Any Infection, is the best book on this topic that I've ever read. And I've read lots oh, of Thank books. you very much. I'm saying everybody that's listening tonight should go right out and get a copy because it's got everything that you need to know in there about what's happening to you and your family and your community. And if you will uh, listen to Dr. LaGuardia and what he has to say and follow his advice, you'll be way on down the path past what lots of Americans are at right now. And you won't be setting yourself up to be killed uh, and to die. So, Dr. LaGuardia, thank you so much for writing this book. And um, we're going to try to give the listening audience uh, 
some feel of it in this or in more uh, podcasts. We're going to start with uh, Chapter 1 in your book, Where Do Colds, Flu, and Coronaviruses Originate? I'm just going to let you have the mic for a while and uh, let you talk. All right. Thank you. Well, you know, most of the colds, flus, and viruses, for example, coronavirus, is not anything new. It's been around, usually about 12% of the viruses every year, 11 to 12% are coronavirus family viruses. So a lot of people already had antibodies to those viruses, especially physicians like us who are practice, uh, you know, patient care. We're exposed to a lot of it. You know, t- traditionally, flu and uh, flu comes out of the Far East, and the reason for that is interesting. In the Far East, the uh, Chinese and, and Asian peasants have a habit of keeping pigs together with ducks. And what happens is we can't get the flu from a bird, typically, um, unless it really mutates. And when they have bird flu, that didn't even spread so fast. However, we can get it from a pig. So what happens is the reservoir in nature for uh, flu is wild birds. For coronavirus, it's bats. And so, you know, different animals harbor different viruses. And what happens is wild birds come down and infect the ducks, and they have no problem giving it to a duck. The duck can give it to a pig, and we get it from the pigs, ultimately. That's why the CDC typically goes to Asia every year and will we'll find the two or three most prominent strains and identify them, and that's what becomes the flu vaccine. And, uh, and they try to identify the best one. Sometimes they miss it. And another one comes out, and you find a year where the flu vaccine is not so effective. Um, coronavirus, uh, for example, I have no doubt in my mind that, that it does not come from an animal market. That was just ridiculous. Uh, clearly, it came from the Wuhan lab. That's, the, ironically, the foremost lab in the world for studying coronavirus. And in that lab, they were... Um, Taking, they were getting all kinds of samples from around the world, but especially from China, from caves with large numbers of bats, and they did what's called gain-of-function research on it, unfortunately, where they try to experiment to make the virus more potent to possibly weaponize it or for whatever their reasons are for research. Unfortunately, we, we funded that incredibly, even though that's illegal in the United States. It's not illegal in foreign countries. And uh, Dr. Fauci... Uh, in his endless wisdom, went over there and funded that lab. Um, And that's where it it came from initially and broke out to the public. The cover story was that it was from a wet market, but that was just ridiculous. Um, And consequently, what happened is the Chinese shut down all domestic travel a month before, but allowed international travel. And Wuhan's one of the second or third largest city in China. And, and millions of people, and consequently lots of uh, foreigners going there. And that's what spread it uh, primarily to Europe initially and then ultimately to the United States. A large number of Chinese go to Italy on vacation uh, due to the fact that Italy's got more to see than probably anywhere in the world. So they go to see Rome and uh, Naples and Capri and Venice and uh, different sites. And that's where the initial epicenter of foreign spread was until it reached the United States. Well, that's that's a very good uh, uh, summary. Back uh, at the beginning of this pandemic, 
this podcast was one of the first to implicate Wuhan Laboratory as the originating point. And you can go back in our archives and listen to that podcast if you want to. But um, I'm amazed over the last two years how much false information has been generated by a number of different people and organizations and everything. And that's why uh, giving you the truth just below the surface is one of the things that we do on this podcast. And uh, Dr. LaGuardia has a book that uh, is very good on getting you truth just below the surface. Um, Now, we're going to go on and talk about COVID-19. He says, it appears that lots of people are dying with COVID-19, but not necessarily from it. Now, there's two things to talk about that. One is the test that they use to make a diagnosis of COVID-19. And the second one is that if you have a positive test, they say you have COVID-19. And then if you go in the hospital and die from anything, even an automobile accident, you're COVID death. And they've used these figures to scare people into thinking that this is a pandemic of the first order and that it is so fearful that you have to run out and get a shot in order to do something about it. Um, What do you think uh, about the test and making a diagnosis for COVID? It's not the same thing, is it? No. Uh, the test was, is not very reliable, uh, evidenced by the fact that now I have hundreds of patients who take home tests and uh, they're negative, and then they go in the hospital and they wind up being positive, or they come into my office and I check antibodies on them, and they're very recent and strong and are positive. But what happened initially was, you're exactly right, there was a pandemic. The, you know, the whole thing seemed to be rolled out on a red carpet and Initially, uh, the hospital, in fact, even still now, the hospitals get paid a lot of money for COVID diagnoses. And so people, if you go in there with, uh, for example, I went in myself with kidney stones um, was last January, and they informed me I was positive, even though I was asymptomatic. Uh, and they, li- they, made, they listed me as a COVID patient and tried to give me rendisnivir, and I adamantly refused. Um, and I did quite well without it. Um, and so initially, the, the numbers were quite skewered. There were they were listing thousands and thousands of COVID deaths, but uh, ironically, these people weren't like just like you said. They were going to hospital with something else and getting co-diagnosed with COVID, but that became the main diagnosis, and they used that. And if they died of cancer, or if they died from trauma, or they died of a massive heart attack, I I had a woman in my practice who was 400 pounds. Um, and she uh, was diabetic, hypertensive, you know, every problem that comes with morbid obesity like that. And unfortunately, she dropped dead uh, right in front of her husband. And when they brought me the death certificate, they brought her in the hospital ultimately, and she wound up, um, you know, obviously had a massive heart attack. She clutched her chest and keeled over, you know. And, uh, but in the, when the nursing home brought me, uh, excuse me, the funeral home brought me the death certificate, they said to me they want me to write COVID on it. 
And I adamantly refused. I said, why did I write COVID? And he said, well, you know what, when she was in the hospital, you know, they tested her blood. She, she tested positive for COVID. And I said, well, that's got nothing to do with her death. They said, well, and it was the first time ever in a, a funeral parlor had the audacity to even suggest that to a physician. And I just shut them down immediately. I said, you don't tell me what to put on a death certificate, and especially when it's wrong. Uh, but I think that's happening nationwide. Um, you know, there's uh, it's been a huge amount of disinformation. And unfortunately, they're pulling doctors' medical licenses um, who speak out against this or try to express a different opinion, which, you know, I'm old. I'm 68 in about a month, so I'm old enough to remember in the old days we would debate things actively. There was no animosity. If you thought something, you, you would debate it with your colleagues. And in the doctor's lounge, we had lively debates. No one was mad at each other. Sometimes you brought the guy around to your opinion or vice versa. But at the very least, you both learned from it. And at the very least, it was science. And science is able to pose a question and then defend it and pre present your evidence. That seems to have all gone, fallen to the wayside now. And now it's just you know shoved down our throats and we have to accept it and shut up and believe the scenario that they are presenting to us, or they'll pull our license, which is horrific. It's, it's, it's the end of modern medicine if we allow this to continue. I mean, there are courageous physicians, and there's the Great Barrington Declaration, which was signed by several thousand, um, including myself, um, about saying that we just don't believe this, what's going on. We don't believe that this is as deadly as you say it is. You know, initially they were giving unbelievable, uh, you know, percentages of the deaths from it, but that that was skewered as well because that was only people presenting to the hospital who ultimately died of it. That they wasn't counting the thousands and thousands and possibly millions of people exposed to it who weren't hospitalized. I mean, the virus clearly seems to have a propensity to kill the elderly more than the young, and that and that's. Right down the board. The older you are, the more dangerous it was for you initially when the first round of COVID came around. It was not a risk at all to children and to young people. And we did an amazing disservice by shutting down the schools and, shutting, and demanding vaccination of the young. I can't believe that pediatricians aren't standing up and saying this is crazy. I mean, the only kids that die of COVID were kids who had end-stage cystic fibrosis or severe, severe asthma, not a kid who's using a, an inhaler for a soccer game. I'm talking about kids who are in a hospital every month. And they die, unfortunately, they, they, they die anyway of other stuff. But the risk for young people is, approaches zero. It's unbelievable that there's still the, the powers that be are still forcing this vaccination on down to six-month-olds now, I think was the latest craziness. Uh, it's, it's obscene, in my opinion. Well, let's uh, let's talk about the uh, PCR test. That test has uh, been said to have a false positive rate of up to ninety-seven percent. So, right. so you go in and take a test, which is making a lot of money for whoever is supplying the test, and the person who originated the test said it's no good. For diagnosis, diagnosing COVID. Now, the, if that's the case, all those hundreds of thousands of people, and all that testing, and all those long lines at facilities and everything, is a sham. And um, so, if you get a positive PCR test, they say 
you got COVID, which is not true, but put that on your medical record, the hospital gets more money from the government because they're taking care of a COVID test. And if they can put you on a respirator, they get up to 30-something thousand dollars extra. And it's a money-driven, sick, sick way of trying to take care of people, in my opinion. I totally agree. The um, you're exactly right. The 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 uh, you know the guy who invented the uh, PCR test would said this is absurd. First of all, it it they have to magnify the test. They're looking for little pieces of DNA, and they want to magnify that, and so they keep amplifying it so many times. You know, he said initially you shouldn't do it above 15, 17, maybe 18 cycles. They're using up to 45 times. You're picking up everything. You know, it's, it, it gives so many false positives, it's virtually worthless. But you're right, follow the money in all of these cases. I mean, the, the vaccine companies, you know, Pfizer, Moderna, um, all of them, Johnson & Johnson, all made countless billions on a vaccine that was never tested on humans, first time ever, and, and brought in and just given to the public. And incredibly it changes their dna permanently once you're vaccinated this this incorporates the mr rna changes you you make endless spike protein and consequently we're seeing all all of the consequences of that for example uh, just last month the american um insurance co- life insurance company is the head of it they gave a report that there was a 40 percent rise in unexplained sudden death syndrome in adults. They actually have a, a name for it now. Just like SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, and they now have SADS, sudden adult death syndrome. And there was a 40% rise in last year in 2021. Now they said a 10% rise would be what's called a black swan event. What that means is a, a, a naturally swans are white. Every 200 years you get a black one that was born among the white ones. And so they, that's the euphemism they use for uh, unusual events. They had a 40% rise in one year, and they're scratching their heads and saying, we don't know why. I mean, what, what has changed? How could you ignore that? Not to mention the VAERS data, which is Vaccine Adverse, uh, Adverse Event Reporting System that the government uses. And that's highly underreported. For example, in my practice, I have probably seven or eight people now who have just dropped dead after the vaccination. And those, those I didn't report because you can't prove it. And, it. and when you go to report it, it's onerous. There's pages and pages of stuff you have to fill out. So the practicing physicians in reality aren't reporting this stuff, even though they talk about it among themselves. And that has, I believe, the last time I checked it, it was over 40,000 people who they say would die from the vaccine. And we pulled the swine flu vaccine when 53 people died. Yet there's 40,000 people dying from this and and a million side effects listed. And there's still no one is even lifting a finger saying this is not a safe vaccine. And the same thing is happening with athletes around the world. Uh, I believe between 1969 and 2020, there were 1,184 or something close to that number of uh, athletes who died playing sports of all types. Um, and that was over, you know, roughly 50 years. And now uh, in 2021, 894 died in one year. And now in 2022, I believe the number is over 1,200 already. 
and these are young, world-class athletes in great shape dropping dead. You have a, a spike of that nature, and you, you, it's, how could you ignore it in good conscience and just look at it and turn your head and say, okay, no, the vaccine's safe. It's not the vaccine. It's not the vaccine. And that's the problem where we're at now. And once again, just like you surmised, follow the money. There's billions and billions of dollars being thrown at this. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people are getting wealthy on it. There is a consortium of individuals and groups, which include multiple U.S. government agencies, the mainstream media, mainstream medical community, and all the mainstream social media companies, mainstream fact-checkers, most members of Congress, nearly every public health official, eugenic proponents, technocrats, socialists, and others who are promoting this narrative through their 24-hour-a-day propaganda. And any viewpoint that does not match that narrative is censured, criticized, and often ends up with reprisals. In fact, I was put in Twitter jail a couple weeks ago because I did a program on a doctor that they didn't want the public to know what he had to say. And for seven days, I couldn't use my Twitter account, which is just one example. You know, that's uh, not a big deal to me, but it's happening all over the country at all different levels. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want to say that you said, in reality, masks are almost entirely ineffective. My research using uh, high-power electron microscopy indicates that the holes between the fibers in the mask are bigger than the viruses, and so the viruses can go straight through them. And you said uh, it was found, uh, studies confirmed that surgical masks and even respiratory respirator masks do not prevent transmission of respiratory viruses. If the mask allows air to pass through, which they all do, or you couldn't breathe, then so do the viral particles carrying the disease. And Ralph, can you imagine how much turmoil and uh, problems were associated with all the, the uh, mask mandates that we've been going through for the last two, three years when the thing doesn't even work. But these group of people want to say it works, just like they want to say, stay six feet away from another person. That works. But it, it doesn't work, you know. Or washing your hands ten times a day works. They, they want to get a narrative going that's going to scare you. And what is the ultimate care going to do, it's going to make you accept an mRNA shot. And we'll talk about that later. There's a lot of great stuff to talk about there. But uh, that's just one thing that I wanted to hit. Masks don't work. Um, right. Well, yeah, I mean, initially it's absurd. The greatest analogy I ever heard was, uh, and it wasn't me, I don't know who said it, I heard it somewhere. But I loved it. I've repeated it a thousand times. Trying to stop the mask are trying analogous to trying to stop a mosquito with a chain link fence. 
I mean, it goes right through it. Just like you said, the holes are in the mask. The pores are way, way larger than a virus. Uh, and it goes right through it. It was absurd from the beginning. Initially, Fauci said the truth and said, oh, masks don't work. And then he reneged it a few weeks later. And there we were masking up the whole country. But one of the greatest, I mean, besides the fact that you're, you're it's cutting down oxygen levels and you're inhaling all kinds of bacteria and viruses on the inside of the mask, just breathing that over and over again all day. The harm it's done to children is irreparable. These kids, are, you know, children, young children especially, rely on facial clues and, and different things to develop their speech and develop their facial recognition and just to develop their interaction with other adults. Kids are already at a huge disadvantage because of the time they spend isolated on computers and stuff and not interacting with each other. When we were young, you know, you stay outside till it got dark and you came in to do your homework. There was no, you know, we played with large groups of kids, and, and uh, well, at least where I lived in the city, and there was, uh, you know, it was everywhere. You were just exposed to kids, and you had interactions with people, and these kids already, because computers weren't doing that, but now two years of lockdowns and masking young kids has really retarded their development in math and science as well as socially, in addition to which causing tons of mental illness as far as anxiety and depression suicide it's an epidemic all for what for kids who weren't at risk historians are going to look back in this and go are they insane how could they not have realized this um i read a, a paper from the cdc that listed about 20 something things that were harmful from wearing a mask and yet right. and yet they're forcing people to wear them well this is getting a little off subject because I've done several programs on masks. You can go back in archives and get all the discussion from earlier days. But you you wrote in your book, book, have we lost our damn minds? We are willing to give an experimental messenger RNA vaccine, and I will say it isn't a vaccine. It's a uh, not what a standard vaccine is, but uh, to our most vulnerable uh, people when they don't need it, when they already have no idea of the long-term ramifications of this quote-unquote vaccine. Now, uh, a vaccine is supposed to prevent you from getting the disease, and it's supposed to keep you from reinfecting other people and what they've given us does neither of these things so i tell you we're really out on a ledge um right it's the first time, it's the first time in history if you get it you still get disease and transmit it what then what good is it but you hit exactly on, on the, the perfect uh, comment when you said it's really not a vaccine you're right it's more genetic engineering and why would, would we allow this on a global scale, you know, vaccinating hundreds of millions of people for this when you have no idea of the consequences? And the short-term consequences are already horrific. Um, and, you know, forcing the military to do it, it's unbelievable. There are 100,000 guys are thrown out of the military for not being vaccinated. They're already having problems recruiting people. And then they do this. It just further weakens us. The whole the whole thing is demonic in its scale and its ramifications for the future of mankind. 
Well, I did a program a few weeks back about six Canadian doctors in two hospitals who were forced to take a fourth booster by Trudeau and that or lose their ability to practice medicine, so they took it, and they were all dead within two weeks. And then I read another report. Now it's up to 50 Canadian doctors are dead. How, I read the same report just recently. Really. How insane can this be? Be you know that you're going to take something that's going to kill you just to keep your job? Uh, you know, mm. and, and with no religious exemptions that we had always before. And, uh, you know, for medical exemptions, it's very hard uh, to get a medical exemption with it. And they just force people to go through tons of hoops and stuff about it. But you're right. I mean, it's been forced on everyone. You know, people losing their jobs, losing their licenses, losing their livelihood. For what? For a virus that's got the same death rate, really, as the flu. And, you know, we don't do that for the flu. We don't go crazy every year. Uh, You know, this is madness. We shut down our economy. We shut down the whole world for this. It was an unbelievable overreaction. And yet no one is stepping back, or very few people, I should say, it's starting to develop a little now, is stepping back and looking at this and saying, wow, this was a blunder. You know, and I think, I, I know, historically, you're going to look back on this and go, what were they thinking? What did this do? I mean, because the consequences are, I had a patient whose husband died today. He was vaccinated. They found him dead in a tree stand. Um, you know, guy in good health in his late 50s, no medical problems. You know, that's unusual to find people dead like that. Yes, it happens occasionally, but not to the extent it's happening now, as evidenced by what I said earlier about the insurance companies. Right. You said uh, the problem is that in college-age students, they rarely get COVID-19. Most of the students that diagnose with them are asymptomatic false positives. And if they do get it, their survival rate is 99.992%. So does that give anybody the justification to give them a shot of something with the potential to kill them, which is a lot higher than than what they would have right. with COVID? How, how can they possibly justify that? Especially if you look at things like, you know, where were the shutdowns not done? Shutdowns weren't done in Sweden. They did fine with it. Liberty University, I'm not sure what state it's in. I think it's in South Carolina or Virginia. Uh, Liberty University, where is it? South Carolina. South Carolina, yeah. Liberty University never shut down. And they had one student test positive, a commuter who wasn't sick at all. And they they didn't go through all this madness. And so, I mean, how could these other schools look and still justify this? Still to this day, they can't, students can go back to school in the fall without being vaccinated and boosted. They're still pushing the scenario when there's no, none, absolutely no medical evidence that it's safe, nor, but more importantly, is it needed? It's not needed at all. So why are we doing it? Why are we adding this to children who are already horribly over-vaccinated as it is? with every illness when they should foster natural immunity and have it was it was a style for a while and they should go back to it we if a kid has chicken pox invite everyone over get natural immunity it's much better and natural immunity is still much better for covid also if you had it and recovered from it you have better immunity than a vaccine and because you there's five proteins that you're immune to not just the spike protein 
you said you cannot have a lethal pandemic stalking the land and not have excess deaths. And as a matter of fact, we don't have excess deaths during the COVID pandemic. And so what are we talking about here? Right. Here's the, here's the thing, as you know, all-cause all mortality, which means all the reasons why people die. Now, that goes up in war, famine, things that affect the general population adversely. You would expect that. Why did it not happen with COVID? There was no no spike in uh, all-cause mortality. You would expect a huge spike if this was this deadly wave that was cutting through the population. But that was not the case. And you, once again, the evidence flies in the face of reality. You know, there's not I – mean, reality flies in the face of what they're, they're ta- telling us and the propaganda that we hear all day, every day about it. And it, there's just no, no – they say follow the science. There's no science to support it. I mean, my, my argument all along, and I make that in the book quite extensively, is it's all offense. Why not do some defense? We know, for example, that vitamin D prevents flus, colds, and COVID big time. If you have a, I have not had a flu shot in over 30 years. I'm in primary care. I'm exposed to flu as soon as it gets to town. And the reason I'm never sick with it is because I take high-dose vitamin D, D3. In addition to which, I take vitamin C, selenium, zinc, iodine, other things to boost my immune system, all of which have no no adverse side effects. In fact, all of them have beneficial side effects. So why why would they not push that and promote that and say, okay, make sure kids have their vitamin D if you're so worried about children, or you know, or adults make make sure they test their vitamin D levels, okay. make sure they take antioxidants. That's much more effective. It's cheap as hell. It's effective, but it can't be patented. Right. You know, and that's like you said, follow the money. So we're going to talk about that in a future program, and that is a very important program for you to listen to. So uh, listen for uh, uh, our, our next program, probably, uh, where Dr. LaGuardia talks about the gang of seven. That's it, isn't it? The gang of seven yes. things that you yes. can take without a prescription is going to keep your immune system tuned up and keep you from getting infection. Um, so we're coming to the end of of this program. Um, I, I think we'll stop at this point. And uh, the thing we're going to talk about is prevention of COVID-19 next time. Um, Dr. LaGuardia, it's uh, great to have you on my program. You've written a wonderful book. Everybody ought to get a copy of it if you want to live a longer life. And I appreciate the work that's gone into this book. I agree with you on about 99% of everything I've read read so far. And um, we're going to continue to tell the world about it until they shut us down. So... Thanks again for being on the program today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure, and I really appreciate it.